0: Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda.
1: This week on The Agenda, Li Chang in Europe will consider the lasting geopolitical impact of the Chinese Premier's first overseas visit since taking office. It's time for China and Europe to rise above their differences and find creative solutions to solve global problems like climate change, And poverty. That was the message from Li Chang at the end of his first overseas visit since becoming Chinese premier earlier this year. He visited Germany and France to talk trade, development, and of course, decoupling.
2: We unequivocally oppose trade protectionism and all forms of decoupling and severing of supply chains. The security and stability of the global industrial supply must be maintained. At the same time, it's necessary to further expand industrial and investment cooperation to encourage multinational companies and large enterprises to invest more directly in developing countries.
1: Joining me now from Paris is Gérard Arrault, former Permanent Representative of France to the United Nations. And in Berlin is Stefan Dadelin, member of the German Bundestag and Deputy Chairwoman of the German-Chinese Parliamentary Friendship Group. Thank you both for coming on the agenda. Now, Sevin, I'll start with you. Um, so you know, de-risking, Decoupling, these have been the buzzwords, haven't they, of this visit. Premier Li was quite critical of the EU's call for de-risking supply chains. He said, you depend on me and I depend on you, um, when he was at a dinner in Paris. How might this face-to-face conversation and, and meetings that he's been having in Europe change the relationship between China and
3: Europe? Well, uh, first of all, Premier Li uh, is right to point out uh, the close economic ties between China and the European Union. So the volume of trade between the European Union and China is around 700 billion euros. And China is the European Union's most important trading partner. The European Union and China therefore have a common interest in good economic relations. And Premier uh, Li's statement uh, is, of course, flattering towards the European Union. After all, the European Union's dependence on imports from China with a share of over 22% is much higher than China's dependence on the European Union with an import share of just about uh, 10%. So worsening trade relations, which would inevitably be the result of the strategy currently being prepared by the European Commission, would therefore harm the European Union member states disproportionately more than China. And China has risen in a very short time to become the world's second largest economy and one of the most important diverse uh, drivers of uh, technology and innovation. So I find it extremely worrying that currently in Europe, under the cover of so-called de-risking, there is an increasing focus on a controlled decoupling, actually. Gérard, is that how you see things from the French perspective? First,
4: let's be frank. Of course, the Europeans are closer to the United States than to China. We have, we have democratic values in common, and we have a common history. But, and that's very important, at the same time, of course, China is not an enemy. China is a partner, China is a competitor, and we have, in a sense, to set the terms of this competition. And the terms of this competition uh, really have changed with the COVID. You know, the COVID crisis has shown that we were depending on international trade in some areas uh, and uh, like for power, like the European Union, it, it, it's not really, it's a problem. It's a real problem. So we have to find the right balance between cooperating, trading with China and with the United States, by the way, but also we have to not to depend too much on our competitors uh, and, on world, and on China in these terms. So that's the meaning of their risking. But, you know, China is risking on its side. The United States are risking on their side. You know, we, the COVID crisis has shown that globalization has also negative aspects. You know, we, the Europeans, suddenly we discovered that we couldn't get masks. Well, uh, really the simple thing as a mask because everything was coming from China. And it's the same thing with the medicine. So that's nearly, in a sense, a, a adaptation of the new reality of the world. We have to work with our competitor, and and China is not an enemy, but a competitor.
1: Seven, Premier Lee went to Germany to talk about trade, um, to talk about climate action, to talk about um, Ukraine. Um, and he talked very much of the importance of carrying forward the traditional friendship with
3: Germany. What does that mean to you? First of all, it is a really great sign of hope that with the visit of Premier uh, Li and um, the 100-headed delegation from China, the direct German-Chinese government consultations have taken place again for the first time in five years. What is needed is not less, but more cooperation with China not only economically and politically, but also in science and culture. We have deep, deep relations in science and culture with China. Chancellor Olaf Scholz should put an end to the really chaotic, sometimes chaotic discussions in his own coalition, in his own government, and finally pursue a clear policy in the interest of the German population. So we must do everything possible to ensure that the forces of reason prevail over those who want to play political roulette and work toward destroying the German-Chinese
1: relations. It's interesting. You're talking about the real importance there of cooperation. And and you highlighted that economic cooperation is somewhere where things are are moving forward. So I'd like to bring you in, Gerard, because in Paris, ahead of the summit on the new global financing pact, Li attended a signing ceremony of a non-binding agreement between Airbus and China aviation industry partners. So these business deals are, are really quite significant, aren't they? I wonder what you think deals like that mean for China's relationship with France and with other EU nations? You
4: know, the world is a small village. Uh, the world is a, global, a globalized uh, a globalized village. And as I have said, it's obvious that China, the European Union, the United States, and the rest of the world have to work together. And this agreement between Airbus, which is not a French company, which is a European company, where Germany is playing a big role, and, and China is, of course, a positive, uh, a positive okay. element. You know, we don't have to talk on, but in sort of two terms possible, you know, confrontation or cooperation. There is also competition. We are competitors. We have to accept it and and we have to manage it together. So that's the reason why the visit, and I do agree with uh, with, with uh, uh, Madame Dagdalen, is what is very important is to have a dialogue, a political dialogue. So the visit of Prime Minister Lee is critical. and and we should have a lot of these types of of visits.
1: Somewhere where there there might be um, some positive cooperation as a direct result of this visit, um, might be action on climate change, because that was very much a key focus of the, the discussion. The slogan, after all, was acting sustainably together. So Sevim, where do you see China and Germany working more closely um, together in this area. I mean, Germany used, of course, to be the global leader in solar power equipment, a mantle which has now been passed to China.
3: Well, first of all, I just want to um, say something uh, about um, Mr. Aho's uh, statement. The thing is, of course, in a globalized world, nothing, not everything is easy. But the problem is the West is approaching now to deglobalize. And that's the problem, what we are facing at the moment. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, the solar and um, uh, the solar power equipment. It is not China, first of all, that is responsible for the destruction of the German solar industry, which is mentioned sometimes uh, by some German politician. But it is uh, the German government of Angela Merkel, the former chancellor of Germany, with uh, its cutbacks in subsidies which ins- incidentally have also cost around 100,000 jobs in the solar uh, industry in Germany so in 2010 the german solar industry was still a global leader and today the german government is even letting go of the only major solar cell manufacturer in europe this is uh, the the company called uh, maya burger a Swiss solar company with production site in Saxony-Anhalt, so it's in in the east of Germany, which is expanding its production now to the United States as a result of the economic war against Russia and US subsidies. So in the area of sustainable industrial policy, there is a great need and great potential for cooperation with China which focuses on on climate change and maintains production capacity in this country. We're talking about that need for,
1: for, for cooperation with China. Um, Premier Li told business leaders that that, that was the biggest risk um, to the future, um, a lack of cooperation. So how much of a concern and how likely is that, Gerard?
4: You know, it's... What is the difference that we, 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 we have between the, with the Cold War between USSR and the US is, and, and you're right to refer to climate change, we have global concerns which are really very global. I think I the United States, Europeans, Africa, China, we are all really facing the same challenge, climate change. So it's a good example where the Europeans, you know, could be a sort of go between uh, between the United States and China uh, by really, in a sense, pushing forward uh, a um, bold agenda on climate change. But there are other issues uh, which are issues of concern sort the of humankind beyond China, beyond the U.S., beyond Europe, where we should work together. And again, Europeans between, in a sense, between the U.S. and China could be a, a bridge uh, to avoid this confrontation to become dangerous. We could work on the the future of oceans. We could work together on the problem of uh, cryptocurrencies, about terrorism, and a lot, a lot of of, of issues. So again, Europeans, we have a we have a specific specific voice, uh, and we have specific concerns. And, and as I have said, we are very close to the Americans. We are talking to the Chinese. We should, in a sense, defend our values and defend our particular vision of, of the world. There is a European voice and it should be heard in Washington, D.C. and it, would, it should be heard in Beijing.
1: Gérard Aron, seven Dajolène, it's been great talking to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Still to come here on The Agenda, a new global financial pact will have more reaction to Li Chang's visit to Europe. Welcome back to The Agenda. As well as talking trade and future cooperation with France and Germany, Premier Li Chang also attended President Macron's Global Financing Pact Summit, where again, his message couldn't have been clearer.
2: China and Europe should rise above their differences, seek and expand common ground while respecting differences and push for more creative solutions to tackle the uncertainty in the global situation with the stability of Chinese-European relations and jointly contribute to the sustainable development of the human race.
1: Joining me now is economist and director of Columbia University's Center for Sustainable Development, Geoffrey Sachs, and Guang Yin, professor in international politics at Fudan University in Shanghai. Gentlemen, great to see both of you. Thanks for coming back on the agenda. Geoffrey, um, um, let me start with you, um, because you're in Paris at the new Global Financial Pact meeting. So how important was it that Premier Li Chang was there? And what do you make of what he had to say?
5: I think it was very important that he was there. Uh, certainly, uh, the African leadership appreciated it. Uh, the Latin American uh, leaders uh, that were at the meeting appreciated it. And the premier uh, spoke about the need for global cooperation uh, to really get the job done of making the energy transformation and ending extreme poverty. It's, it's China has so much to contribute to this uh, global effort. In fact, it's going to be absolutely key to it. I, I think uh, it was extremely good that the premier was here and I thought his remarks were very strong.
1: President Macron launched the um, summit with calls for a public finance shock to ensure that no country should have to choose between tackling poverty and, and dealing with climate change. So. Is that what's needed? And and what's it going to take to, to make it happen, Jeffrey?
5: The, the shock is needed. The problem really is the United States government doesn't want to contribute. Uh, so the US is looking for all sorts of shortcuts, uh, asking the international development banks like the World Bank to find more out of their current balance sheets rather than putting more resources from the u.s government and the other rich countries into these banks so i'm still waiting to see is this talk and gimmick or is this something new so far we haven't seen real money on the table Uh, we heard a lot of uh, a lot of commitments uh, the need to move from talk to action the need to walk the walk but i know what's happening in u.s politics uh, which is that Our system is designed to really protect the rich (laughs) against uh, any kind of uh, claims. Uh, And that's what's happening right now. That's why the role of China as a major contributor to the global system through the Belt and Road Initiative and other ways is so really very important right now.
1: Professor Yin China is still a developing nation. So how important do you think it was that that Li Chang attended the meeting in person? And, And what do you think it says about China's approach to to poverty, but also to climate change.
0: Right. I think it is of vital importance that China attended this meeting as a developing country since uh, in the past a couple of decades, the developing country's voice has largely been ignored in this largely hierarchical world order. And by being there as a representative of the developing country, China could bring in the developing country's experience of countering the uh, extreme poverty and climate change without having to uh, 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 jeopardize other countries' interests.
1: Geopolitical tensions are increasing. Now, are we going to see more de risking rather than decoupling, or are these two really the same things, just under different names?
5: Frankly, this discussion of de risking or decoupling is a lot of gobbledygook. The question is uh, whether we're going to have decent, normal relations with Europe, China and the United States or whether there's going to be conflict. The United States is afraid of China's rise. Uh, It has become quite hostile to China's rise. I think that this is absurd. China's uh, economic development is in America's interest as well as China's interest obviously and world interest. So I think it's a win-win proposition. When you're an economist, you believe in win-win that uh, prosperity is good for everybody. When you are a geopolitical strategist, you believe win-lose. If China advances, that's bad for the US. So I think all this talk about de-risking and decoupling is kind of the, 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 the word language of the geostrategists, who I don't much agree with on anything. Economists don't use this kind of language or shouldn't, We should have trade. We should have interdependence. We should, in the United States, we should champion China's rise because that's good. We should be glad when China makes technological advances. That's what lowered the cost of renewable energy so dramatically for the world. So I hope that we move beyond the conflicts and the war in Ukraine have decent relations between the U.S. and China, then we would really have the basis for making progress on climate change and many other issues.
1: Professor Yin, I can see you nodding away there. So do you agree with that assessment?
5: Um, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Although I'm more on the geopolitical side, but I completely agree with the opinion that uh, geopolitics seems to look at the world as if this is an absolute wing and an absolute lose perspective. But in, uh, but in reality especially through the Chinese recent years development we could see that the win wing situation is possible and also I want to emphasize that uh, the Chinese experience by um, sort of wing uh, by developing through cooperation it really provides a new perspective in understanding how development should work especially development should be with the better uh, the greater uh, the greater majority of the people.
1: What well, I want to ask you, um, Professor Yin, is about this creative solution notion—the creative solutions to global problems. That's something that Premier Li spoke about. What, what, what do you think we're talking about here?
0: Well, I think uh, uh, Premier Li taps into a long history—not necessarily long—but seventy years of history of history of uh, the People's Republic of China had gained its development out of uh, has developed out of its semi-colonial uh, colonial um, status. Through um, self-reliance, but at the same time through mutual aid um, with other developing countries in the global south, uh, and I think developing through cooperation, a state-driven development, and uh, the a state-driven development, particularly with a focus on the best interest of the people are crucial in understanding the Chinese experience, uh, developmental experience. And no one else, apart from the States, would be able to offer, for example, mass education program to uh, to empower the people and to counter pro- extreme poverty.
1: Jeffrey Sachs, the, the Premier's visit um, to Europe came hot on the heels of US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's trip to to Beijing. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said that the U.S. and China have a responsibility to work together. Now, what, if anything, um, has changed in terms of the rest of the world's attitude to China over the past week? Are we in a better place now?
5: I think uh, what been starting around 2015 is that uh, the American political leadership became afraid of China's further rise, and a lot of crises were stoked. Actually, the Americans made a kind of game plan. Let's make trade arrangements in Asia that don't include China, which is a little silly in my view, because China is the major trading country of Asia. Uh, and let's start export bans on Uh, high technology and let's put on unilateral uh, trade barriers and stop financial flows and attack Huawei and uh, force uh, TikTok to divest many things. You know, I think the rest of the world is really uh, very uneasy about this. I, I travel all over the world and I would say leaders everywhere say, don't make us choose between the U.S. and China. We want normal relations with both. And this is a correct point of view. And it's absolutely still possible. It's in the U.S. there is a political fight between the so-called neoconservatives who believe in U.S. hegemony, and I would say normal people (laughs) who believe that this is a big world and a multipolar world. And so we don't have this settled in the U.S. It's not settled in the world. That's why it's really worth the effort to just calm down the tensions, lower the tensions, talk with each other, because so much of the tensions were deliberately provoked by the United States because of this growing fear. But I don't think we should have that fear, frankly. I don't see any reason for the fear. I think we should aim for a cooperative global environment.
1: So, so, let's talk a little bit more about that, that multipolar um, concept. Um, Professor Yellen, I mean, in the light of Premier um, um, Lee's visit, do do you think that Europe has become increasingly dependent on China? I, I'm thinking about things like, like green energy.
0: Uh, sure. Uh, but first of all, I think that it's, uh, the word dependent is slightly misleading. I would rather prefer to use the word mutual reliance and also Uh, The term multipolar is also misleading Uh, and instead I myself and of course China in their 20th National Congress report would use multilateral because the world as polarized is extremely dangerous as if it, it assumes that the world is controlled by a handful of big powers that makes the call whereas only the opinions of the big powers that matter. And this leads to my uh, first point of using mutual reliance rather than uh, uh, dependent. Uh, Mutual reliance suggests that we all need each other. But the reality is, I mean, human society, we all need each other. Nobody could be truly atomized individual that lives in a bubble and uh, completely makes the call all by itself. So in this sense, I would say the, the softer, would you say, that as the softer approach of the EU is very welcoming. And also it is inevitable.
1: Professor Ying, Jeffrey Sachs, thank you both very much indeed. Thank Thank you. Coming soon on the agenda, why the gap between men and women is as wide as ever and why that matters to the global economy. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.